1: With a new podcast every day of the Premier
0: League season, this is Football Social Daily.
2: Steven steals it for Spurs. Bergwijn brilliance at the death for Tottenham last night secured them a remarkable 3-2 win over Leicester in the Premier League. With 95 minutes on the clock, the Foxes were winning 2-1. In the blink of an eye, they come out on the losing end. How on earth? Did Tottenham turn it around? We'll try and answer that very question on today's show as Spurs take a huge leap forward in the race for Champions League football next season. Manchester United have top four ambitions as well and they picked up an important win on the road at Brentford last night. B's boss Thomas Frank said his side destroyed United in the first half but Rangnick's young guns swept through Brentford in the second for all three points. With a tasty tussle set up now, West Ham the visitors next up to Old Trafford at the weekend. We'll look back at those two games as well as casting our eyes over the latest transfer news where Luis Suarez is being linked with a surprise Premier League return. Andreas Christensen is being linked with a Premier League departure and Jesse Lingard is being linked with the switch to a Premier League rival. All of that to come here on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast from
1: Sport Social.
2: I'm Niall McCorn, thanks for joining us and to share their thoughts and opinions today we've got Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning boys.
3: Morning
1: guys. Good morning.
2: How did you enjoy last night's action Marley?
3: Yeah, usually you're not really bothered about what the the sort of midweek games because they just tend to be like just there and i think Leicester and Spurs always have potential to be a good match but that ending was uh was quite something i, I didn't expect anything to to quite uh, steal the headlines like Bergvine did yeah
2: absolutely that's the big story this morning in the premier league leicester city somehow after being 2-1 up in the 95th minute of their game at king power stadium with tottenham last night conspired to lose it 3-2 Two goals in 79 seconds from Steven Bergwijn for Tottenham secures three points for them, massive in the context of the top four race. Just how big a result is that for Spurs in your opinion, Joel, particularly heading into this game with Chelsea at the weekend, which is their next test in the top
1: flight. Given the way the table looks in the race for the top four, just how important could that be for you? Well, I think it's come at the perfect time, hasn't it? Because just like you say, going into the match against Chelsea, who are now being suddenly dragged into that top four race when previously, about three weeks ago, it was all about Manchester City, Liverpool, keeping tabs with them. And now all of a sudden, if Tottenham win that, Chelsea are in massive, massive pressure with the teams behind them. Because I think uh, Arsenal, Manchester United and um, Tottenham all have at least two games on hand against um, behind them. So obviously, if all of them win their respective games... They'll probably end up going within one point behind them, and that's that's pretty damning for Tuchel because I know he's coming out with all these excuses of you know we're mentally and physically tired, but so is everyone else. Everyone else has to deal with the exact same circumstances. Um, so for Tottenham, I think that that well, you have to arguably say that they're in pole position to be the strongest to actually chase Chelsea now because they have another three games in hand on Chelsea, and I mean if they end up beating them at the weekend. And once the I don't know what what game we call of the fixtures are gonna end up leveling out, but by that time, I mean Chelsea could end up finding themselves in sixth, but right now it's quite difficult to gauge just what everyone's true position is. It's like a Sunday league table where you can win the <laughs> you can win the league on the last game of the season because the other team's got about nine games to play, so uh, it's it's a strange one, but I thought Tottenham last night were pretty impressive um considering I think the most important factor is the fact that Harry Kane is finally firing again. I think that was the most important piece of the jigsaw for Conte when he came in. Because obviously, let's not forget, when he first came in, Harry Kane had about one goal in his first 10 Premier League games, which is totally uncharacteristic. He's never done that in his career, probably, yeah, literally never, even since he came into the first Tottenham side. So that was a, a vital piece for conte i think if he, if harry kane would have continued with that really poor run of form it, conte if you have a striker who's been scoring 25 20 a season and he suddenly just blanks out any manager's going to struggle and it's not like it's not so easy to go and find a great striker to replace someone with all those goals so that's that's been such an important factor and obviously now uh, bergvain i mean it was only about two weeks ago that it was being thought that he would get a move to Ajax. And I was surprised because I've been impressed with him each time he's played, uh, but he's just never got that run of games. I think the last time I really saw him make an impact was that um, 1-0 win against Manchester City on the opening day. Apart from that, I've not really seen a great deal, but he has he has flashes of brilliance. But yeah, I think, I think the biggest part of this victory is just the fact of the character because I think two months ago, this victory wouldn't have happened.
2: We'll talk about Stephen Bergvine in a bit more detail shortly, Marley, but you're right when it comes to Harry Kane. You know, a goal and an assist last night, great for him, always good for Spurs when Harry Kane is on form. But in terms of the way that the game finished, we speak about how impactful that victory could be for Spurs, but it must be a real damaging blow to Leicester. So did Tottenham just blow Leicester away at the end through brilliance, or did the Foxes bottle it, Marley? What do you think?
3: Um, it's well, it's hard to say, sort of, um, like definitively, but I think it's got to be a bit of both, really, because like Leicester's game management from kickoff, uh, in the ninety fifth minute was was awful. I mean, Tealevens gets, um, I mean, I think he gets closed down and he skips through a couple of challenges and that was fine, but there's a there's a reverse angle where um, Tielemans has got players in front of him, but every single Spurs player is in that middle third of the pitch. And I think whoever's playing right wing back, I think it might be All Brighton or someone out there, has got acres of space. He could have put it wide, and, and Leicester could have swung a ball into the box and, and maybe got something the other way. But instead, he gives a really daft ball into the middle. Um, and with with the way the game is, you know, nobody's. Positionally aware in the in the 96th minute because everyone thinks the game's going to end, um, and everyone's still high as a kite from scoring a goal and, and conceding a goal on the other side, so they just get ripped open within uh, within one pass. Even Kasper michael was too deep on his line. I thought he could have he could have came further out and uh, and met Bergvine, either got the ball before him or smashed him before he got into the box and gave away a free kick and took took t- the red card because it chances are the free kick wouldn't have. Uh, wouldn't have gone in so you're looking at that and thinking that was that was Leicester just not managing the game properly um I think there's 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 something going on with Leicester I don't know what it is but it's you know the r- results aren't great the injuries are a big part of that as well but the thing that worried me about Leicester recently is is when Brendan Rodgers said about Tielemans and his contract and you know his his um Is career being short, and if he wants to play here, then great. But if not, then we can't stop him. I just thought that whole thing like, just, just sort of smacked a bit of like small club mentality. Like Leicester have had two massive blows, like proper kicks in the balls, and and the last day of last seasons, uh, last season and the season before, when they didn't get into the top four and they should have, on the basis of they were better than everyone for most of the season. But. He says that and then it sort of reminds you that it might be seeping into the club, that they're running out of steam a bit. Um, And then you see the results on the back of that this season and you're seeing Leicester slip further and further away from that top four battle because the Leicester of last season would would be fourth in the league this season, I think, because the way they were playing, they were there anyway. And this season, you know, nobody wants fourth. It's like, you know, everybody's <laughs> scrambling all over each other. Arsenal, Spurs, Man United, West Ham—they're all in it, but they're not. There's no sort of juggernaut that's that's got to be shifted from fourth. So, Leicester have gone backwards massively, and and last night's result will be such a another body blow that uh, mm. it'll be struggle to re- they'll struggle to recover from it. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to take any positives from a Leicester City perspective, particularly if you are a Foxes fan. You know, the manner of the defeat last night, Bergwijn, two goals in just under 80 seconds to win it in added time. In fact, there was five minutes added on. And I think, you know, due to the celebrations from the first goal, there was a little bit extra... You know, added on by the referee and understandably I suppose and then you know, to go and concede again in the manner that they did must be so frustrating so tough to take any positives but one if there are any would be the return of James Justin so I thought it was worth mentioning that seeing as he's been out for 11 months with a serious knee injury he was really promising um, last season for Leicester when he did get injured uh, in February time of 2021 so it was good to see him back despite the result for Leicester and Steven Bergvine obviously will capture the headlines. Joel mentions, Marley, that the first day of the season was the last time he can remember him having an impact. I've written down in my notes that he's been non-existent this season. Is that harsh for me or is it fair? Because it feels like he's kind of exploded back into the spotlight with this two goals that he's scored, with this result that Tottenham have got. Um, but where's he been for the rest of the campaign? I just can't seem to remember him making an impact.
3: Yeah, he's not been involved, has he? He's been sort of frozen out, and I I think it's harsh as well because whenever whenever I see him play, he doesn't look bad. I remember on his debut, he scored against Man City uh, last season. Um, obviously, he's had he's had little moments here and there. Obviously, I think the the thing with him is consistency. But I mean. How many wingers are consistent in the Premier League? Like there's the, only the, the top top wingers are, are, are super consistent. So that's just a part of the game and I think with Spurs they've got options um up front. You know, Kane obviously picked himself and so does Son, but you know, Lucas and Bergvine and Deli Alley and Brian Gill, they sh- they should all be chipping in with with like that should be a good battle, like a good four way battle to see who can be that third man with Kane and Son. Because they've all got talent and it's like if one isn't doing well can the other one can one of the other ones come on and come on for half an hour or 15 minutes or whatever and make an impact and that's what Bergvall did last night but none of them have done it enough this season for me like they've not been um relied upon now, Spurs' Spurs's second team the one they play in in the Europa League and and some league cup games and what have you that's been really poor and that's been made up of those types of players who I've just mentioned but they need to be more than that because if Spurs are going to get back to challenging for the top four and getting into Europe, they need to have more, um, more depth and more and more quality coming off the bench. If they can't sort something and also someone that can, that can build on the likes of those performances by Bergwijn, um and and take something on and be be more of a threat because they're not enough at the minute. They're just Kane, and if Kane has a bad game, Spurs don't win.
2: You mentioned a moment ago, Joel, that you think that Spurs are now in pole position for fourth place. Had that game finished a draw or, as it looked like it was going to end, a loss to Tottenham with a Leicester City win, would you still have that perspective or do you think that that was now a turning point? The momentum has firmly shifted towards Spurs just because of the manner of the win. And we take into account the Chelsea game coming up at the weekend. Chelsea have huffed and puffed in recent weeks. Um, they've kind of lost form completely. Whereas for Spurs, they're unbeaten in the Premier League since the end of October, and they go into that London derby off the back of this huge win in in terms of the way they won it as well. Surely that's got to be big for the confidence. So do you think that last night was a real turning point for them?
1: I think with football, it's just so fickle, isn't it? If you haven't if you hadn't have watched the game and they lost two one, everyone would have been pointing fingers at Kane and Conte and the defence and blah 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 blah. But you know, obviously the turn of a result kind of mass over any errors that went on in the game or any wrongdoings because you know Tottenham they for all the, the the fact that they had to come back from behind in two minutes, they did actually dominate Leicester in terms of I think they had about three shots cleared off the line during the game and Kane probably should have had about two or three. So it wasn't as if Leicester were deservedly ahead at that point. I thought Spurs were playing really well but they just couldn't get the ball over the line. Um, and I think the biggest part about this is that I think two months ago, this result would not have happened just in terms of they had no character about them whatsoever. I didn't think they had any fight. And the fact that they've been able to come back two goals in two minutes, I think it's just the typical Conte side. Every single side you've ever watched him at, I think that Chelsea side when he won the league, it, it was a constant for them every single time. And at Juventus in his four years there Every single year with with Juventus, they were constantly getting bailed out in the last 10 minutes. And that's not just out of luck. It's the fact that he demands that his teams continue until the final whistle. And I think under Nuno, they lost that desire and that hunger to really keep going in the games. And I think it's just because the players lost belief in him. They weren't inspired by him. And I think if you're not inspired by Antonio Conte, there's something wrong with your DNA because I think the guy really does just get every last ounce out of players. And it just showed because, I mean, you know, after 2-2, when they kicked off, most teams would be would be thinking, all right, we've got, we got the draw now. Well, well done, boys. But as soon as they kicked off, Harry Kane was looking up straight away. Bergvine was making a running behind. And 100% that would not have happened a couple of months ago. So I think it's just a very different dynamic in that Spurs side at the moment. And I think regardless, even if they would have got the loss yesterday, I mean, they can make it right against Chelsea and that masks over everything because suddenly they become um, only four points behind them. So it's it's a huge game at the weekend. And if they really want to stake their claim on that top four challenge and start dragging Chelsea into it, um, it's a massive game. not Not just for Spurs, but for West Ham, Arsenal and United as well.
2: I'm just wondering because of the result last night, whether that changes any of the thought processes of the powers that be at Tottenham, because we've mentioned about how Antonio Conte is going to want a bit of a war chest to spend to kind of get the players he wants into Tottenham. But with 10 days left of the window, I've not seen anyone a Adama Traore linked to Tottenham Hotspur and appears on the back pages this morning that I can't see any other links either to players... Um, heading to Tottenham so I think that's really interesting just how quiet it's been on the transfer front we'll talk more about the Premier League transfer gossip a little bit later in the podcast but last night Leicester 2 Spurs 3 massive result for Spurs remarkable end to the game wasn't quite as dramatic at Brentford Community Stadium Manchester United ran out victorious we'll talk about their win over the Bees next after this here on Football Social Daily
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Football's Social Daily. Find more great
0: sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back, this is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League show from Sport Social, part of the Sport Social Podcast Network, which you can find at our website, sport-social.co.uk. And if you click the podcast tab at the top of the page, you'll be able to find loads of great sport podcasts there. Time to talk about the other Premier League game that took place last night. It was at Brentford Community Stadium, where the Bees lost out 3-1 to Manchester United. And we discussed on yesterday's podcast about how Jekyll and Hyde Manchester United can be at times. And when I say that, I mean they show almost two sides to their game. Sometimes they can be excellent and other times they can be absolutely terrible. And I think last night's game was that, in a nutshell, Marley, the first half, Brentford were very unlucky not to be in front. Some great opportunities. David De Gea had to bail United out on a couple of occasions, as he's done many times this season. But second half, far, far better from Ralph Rangnick's side. So it wasn't a 90-minute performance by any stretch. I can see why it's been frustrating for United fans but they got the win and I suppose that's the most important thing.
3: Yeah, it is. Um, I think Man United's performances over the past few weeks have been um, very patchy and sometimes even when they're winning games they're they're sort of not looking great Um, and when they're drawing games it feels like a defeat because they they tend to have have been beaten um, sort of on the balance of the game Like they tend to have had the, the smaller share of it um, last night the first half looked like one of them again um you know brentford were brentford have done this a few times this season they've totally battered teams in terms of balance of the game um and not had not got what they've almost deserved um De Gea come up with a couple of massive saves. there's a couple of a uh, couple of chances that could have went um could have went in there was one bounce wide hit the stanchion and, and things like that um and you sort of knew when it got to half time you thought I th- I think you might have you might have blew it here, lads because when you don't do that in the Premier League especially against a club which has such like uh maybe like a, a track record of over the years I know they're not in the best moment of the minute man united but they are still they have still got that memory of being like digging digging results out and if they want to dig results out they can do it and it's just a case of whether they fancied it whether they were going to the shells in the second half having been passed off the pitch really in the first half or would they come back and, and try and prove something and it was the latter so Brentford couldn't deal with it and once Alanga got that goal it, it opened the game up a little bit more Um, and then it wasn't really a surprise to see them go on and get the, the second and the third so I think it, it sort of papers over the cracks a little bit for Man United but the the, the sort of talent was there at the end and they've got a, they, they, they can take a, a big sort of confidence boost from that that they can they can have that sort of mental fortitude to, to put a, a bad 45 behind them and still score three goals in the second half because ultimately that's, that's still a very good thing to do
2: yeah and there were three good goals as well and we'll talk about the three goal scorers because they were three of United's younger players We'll do that in a minute, though, because inevitably, as is often the case with Cristiano Ronaldo, the headlines this morning aren't actually on the game or the result, all those young goal scorers. It's the fact that Cristiano had a strop when he was subbed off on 70 minutes. No doubt he cut a frustrated figure. The score was 2-0 when he came off. What do you make of his reaction, Joel? What does that mean for you as a fan? Inevitably, Cristiano Ronaldo, he scored 800 goals. He's one of the best players to ever do it. He's going to be annoyed when he gets subbed off. But as for the reaction, what do you make of it?
1: It's an absolute non-starter. Honestly, if the the media are saying it's all about him because they're literally creating a narrative to make it about him. I mean, majority of United fans didn't really care. And for me personally, I think it's something that I like to see something like that. At least he actually cares. I mean, for the last few months, it seemed as though the players go on the pitch and it's like a chore for them. This is a guy, by the way, who's 36 years old. is sorted financially. has scored 700-odd goals in his career. And at Brentford away, he's annoyed at being taken off. I mean, he's got hunger still at that age. I don't think many players will have that at that age. And for me, he's just a fierce competitor. And I'm sorry, but if you're born with it, you're born with it. And I, I like that. I think you need players like that in your team. He's done no harm whatsoever. He's frustrated. What player who doesn't come off who comes off is not frustrated um and for me it's an absolute non start you need people like that at your club mm, I agree as well. the
2: focus should definitely be on the likes of Anthony Alanga, who made just his third ever Premier League start for Manchester United just his second of this season and scored his second ever Premier League goal as well, a header to open the scoring on fifty five minutes it's his first contract he's hungry to prove what he can do. And considering what we've heard about young players in recent weeks, it was a big boost for United, as Joel says, Marley, to have Greenwood, Elanga, and Rashford all scoring the goals.
3: Yeah, it's um, it's perfectly timed, really, isn't it? You know, because maybe that's one of the reasons why Ronaldo was fuming. He <laughs> probably thought, oh, <laughs> one of these bloody bloody young kids has scored," and I've I've been uh, saying they don't work hard enough for the last week or so. So maybe that's why he was fuming, but. Yeah, it's, it's great for Man United, you know. I personally didn't really think Ilanga was sort of good enough to start starting games, but obviously Rangnick has seen him in training, uh, likes him. I just, I just thought with, you know, the the amount of options Man United have got, like he started ahead of Rashford, for example, uh, last night, because Rashford was started on the bench. Um, and I thought with the, the amount of options... That man, you have got Ilanga would be the one coming off the bench for 15-20 minutes maybe if if Man United are winning. But you know he got chucked in, chucked in, uh, chucked in at the deep end sort of thing and, and started in the game away from home against uh, a team not doing too badly at all and can play as they proved in the first half. So we come up with uh, with a massive goal for himself. So that'll only give him confidence. And now Man United have got another weapon, like another left-sided uh, weapon to use and uh, and for teams to to try and deal with because if they're playing this new 4-3-3 formation or, or switching away from that crazy gung-ho 4-2-4 thing then uh, they need players to play that position and he's had, the, he's had the start and he's scored a goal and he's played well so it's great for them and then obviously Greenwood and Rashford wrapping things up is, is brilliant as well because as Joel said there aren't many many clubs that can have the, the youth sort of um, blood running through the club on such a, a big basis.
2: Yeah, Ralph Rangnick has actually mentioned in press conferences and interviews in the past that young players, particularly ones like Alanga, who are on their first contract, are always the ones that are the hungriest because they're willing to prove exactly what they they can do and they're ready to do whatever it takes to make themselves a success. And Greenwood, Alanga, Rashford all scoring for Manchester United last night. They beat Brentford 3-1. Ivan Toney got the consolation later on in the game for the Bees. But after the game, Thomas Frank look really exasperated and you can understand why. He says he's very proud of his players and it was really hard to take the result as his side. And this is a quote, destroyed and outran Manchester United and on any given day would have won the game 2 or 3 nil." on the first half display. You can understand why he was a bit aggrieved that they didn't go into the break with at least something, Marley. But he says he can be proud of his players and I think that's a fair assessment at least.
3: Yeah, he's, um, he's a character, isn't he, Thomas Frank? Uh, sometimes he's... Is his surname sums him up very well because he is very frank. Um, he, is, he is very, <laughs> yeah, he is. you know, he he will say when his team's done well, and he, he's, he this isn't the first time he's he's said things like this. Um, I can't remember the specifics, but I remember a while ago he said something like, um, "We should have won that game. Like we we batted them from start to finish, and they like lost the game two one or something. I can't remember if it was two, but um, he's so this isn't the first time he's done that. He's he's, he's able to. Um, praise his team when they when they play well, even if they don't get what what they deserve. And he also says when they played poorly as well, because he's he's very uh, he seems very honest. But it did come across a bit of sort of sour grapes last night, because you know you can outplay Man United for 45 minutes, but at the end of the day, if you don't score a goal, you've got nothing to show for it. So I think this is a lesson you tend to learn when you're in the Premier League for the first time, um, or you should learn. For, for getting to the Premier League for the first time because Brentford had never been there, Thomas Frank's never been there he's got very few players in that squad that have ever been there so you've got to learn these things sometimes it doesn't matter how well you play if you don't get what you what the game is about, which is goals you uh, you, you can get punished and the top teams will have a total reset at half time and come out with uh, a different tactic or a different mentality a different approach in the second half in some sort of way, shape or form um, and they can knock three pass, goal, goals past you before you even know what's happened, and that's that happened last night. Um, and Thomas rank and, and Brentford have to learn from it because it's that Man United aren't the only team that can do that to you. Um, and that sort of psychological thing of um, Christ will play Man United and, and we've outplayed them for the first half. You need to sort of forget that at halftime and, and and sort of make sure you do it again rather than think. You know we've we've played really well. Don't don't sit there and pat yourself on the back because you know you can get stung quite quickly in in the Premier League and maybe you can't as much or as often in the Championship.
2: Yeah, a brutal reminder of the rigours of the Premier League, as Marley rightly points out. Manchester United, winners on the road at Brentford. They take on West Ham this weekend at Old Trafford. Another huge game. Some big games in the top four race. Arsenal play Burnley. Manchester United host West Ham. And of course, Chelsea play Tottenham. We'll talk about some of those games on this weekend's Dugout podcast. That'll be out late on Friday night. I'll be joined by Paul Dickov and Trevor Stephen. And I'll be asking former Everton man Trevor Stephen exactly what he makes of the vacant managerial Role at Goodison Park. He won the league, of course, as an Everton player. Duncan Ferguson's in temporary charge, and Big Dunk was a Scotland teammate of Paul Dickov. So, we're going to try and find out exactly what he's truly like to share a dressing room with. Uh, The dugout will be be out. It will be very interesting to hear. The dugout will be out, as I say, Friday night. If you hit subscribe on Football Social Daily, that way you won't miss it. Time for another short break now. Afterwards, we're going to get stuck into the latest Premier League transfer gossip. We'll do it next. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. I've got Marley and Joel with me, and we're going to talk the latest transfer gossip in the Premier League. Now, before we do, just a quick reminder that it is Arsenal against Liverpool tonight in the second leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final. Chelsea are already under the arch. The final to take place in late February uh, after they beat Spurs in their semi-final, but it is the second leg of Arsenal against Liverpool that takes place tonight. We'll probably look at that on tomorrow's show rather than today. So instead, we're going to take a look at the latest transfer news. In in the top flight and Luis Suarez has been linked to Aston Villa the current Atletico Madrid striker however Goal reporting that the Spanish side won't be allowing him to leave this window. The fact that he's even been linked with Aston Villa after Coutinho's arrival Joel do you think this is just more of the Steven Gerrard effect in action?
1: God, he's getting the whole band back together isn't he? Next <laughs> i get Brendan Rodgers on the touchline with him. Um, <laughs> Jamie but... Carragher out of Sky yeah, Studio. <laughs> <laughs> get him, I, get him all out on there but it's well. Apparently, what I've heard, what I've seen, and heard is that Suarez and Simeone are not seeing eye to eye anymore. And he is 34 now, and I think he's well, he's very much past his peak. Um But to be honest, I mean, I'm not sure Gerard would be. Well, I don't know if Suarez would be interested first and foremost. But I mean, considering the fact that they'll probably be able to match or even better the wages that Atletico are even offering him, would probably probably be tempting in itself. Um but I think, you know, considering the fact that they've got Danny Ings and Watkins <clears throat> who are performing, especially Watkins, I've been massively impressed with him this season. Um I think he's developed so much since he's, he came in from Brentford. But I mean, if if the offer is on the table, I'm sure Gerrard would absolutely take that, considering he knows how he is as a player. Obviously he's not the player that he 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 was playing with um a good seven years ago. But I mean, still, he's a good. He's not a bad player to bring off the bench, is he? But I think he needs to just be careful with the shape that he's taking his Aston Villa side. He doesn't want to start attracting these mercenary type signings who aren't exactly gonna bring a massive amount of benefit to his side long term. Um and like I mentioned I feel like Watkins is, is the person that they should be kind of shaping their attack around and obviously Coutinho is just a nice option to have for six months I don't know what could happen after that but yeah I think I, do, I, I doubt it's I think it's a non-starter for me personally I don't think it's the right fit I can see him probably going either back to Uruguay or just having a last payday somewhere else but um, it would be interesting to see him back in the Premier League but like I said the league's moved on and he's not the player he was and it's it's always the case when a player comes back to the league as we've seen with Ronaldo I mean like he's not the player that everyone remembers him as as being that fast dynamic winger the same with if you watch Luis Suarez recently he's not got that extra yard of pace that he did have previously and he's not as prolific as he used to be Um, but I think I mean he's still a great option just the same as Edison Cavani he's a great option still scores goals but he's not the deadly striker that we all remember him as.
2: Well, Luis Suarez allegedly is not going to be leaving Atletico Madrid this window, but maybe we could see him in the Premier League Uh, in the summer. Of course, we've seen players in their mid-30s arrive In the Premier League on a more regular basis recently, Thiago Silva, Edinson Cavani, Cristiano Ronaldo, to think of just three off the top of my head. Maybe Luis Suarez will join uh, former Liverpool teammate Coutinho and Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. That one remains to be seen, but it's a no for January for the time being. Speaking of Spanish clubs, Barcelona are reportedly in advance talks with Chelsea defender Andreas Christensen. That's according to Goal in Hispania. He's out of contract in the summer and therefore free to discuss terms with foreign clubs from right now. How big of a blow will that be to Chelsea, Marley, if Andreas Christensen moves on? Of course, they sold Zuma to West Ham. We know Thiago Silva's signed a new year extension, but he's in his mid to late 30s. Does it reinforce their need to sign another centre-back sooner rather than later because if this is to be believed that means they're going to have to really dip into the market for a defender again soon uh
3: yeah it's 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 kind of strange how chelsea are having um contract issues with with quite a few players like christensen rudiger um there's been a been a couple as you know in the last sort of six months or so and the way I see it, I don't really understand it because the, the champions of Europe, they're in, or well, they were in the title race. They're, they're, they're capable of being in the title race every season with the squad they've got if they, if they get things right. They've got a world class manager there. Um, and Christensen and Rudiger are both playing games. Um, they're playing enough. Christensen has, has been, it's usually, if everyone's fit, Christensen, Rudiger, and Thiago Silva. So I don't really understand the 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 clamour to to maybe leave um i don't know the the personal you know the the, the little intricate details of, of everything obviously he's not happy with something but as the way i see it he's playing can he get an obviously better club than chelsea i'm not not sure there are too many out there um and I, yeah i've I don't know maybe he just he has been in England for a long time to be fair, it took him a long time to break through. Maybe he fancies something different, maybe he just fancies another challenge.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask that, Marley, because he spent two years on loan at Borussia Munch and and did really well there, and that was between 2015 and 2017. And then he came back, but with Chelsea, to be a 25 year old and established in the team, um, it's not something that happens often. And it sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but the amount of players that they sign who aren't too dissimilar to Andreas Christensen in terms of where they've come from and maybe youth players that have come through and get big loan moves away and stay out on loan for ages. For him to have actually established himself in the Chelsea team is is a decent effort because, as I mentioned, we've seen so many players over the years that have come through been kept on professional terms but just end up spending eight seasons out on loan somewhere.
3: Yeah, you're right. Um, You know, <laughs> a lot of guys don't make the grade and they end up still still there, you know, um and they end up just end up leaving on a free after a while like you look at trevor chalibre trevor chalaber has been on you know loads and loads of loans come back and, and he, yeah he's, he's, he's another exception to the rule he's starting to to get get a few games thanks to a decent pre-season and a few opportunities with injuries at the start of the season as well so but you know more often than not you get players like like jake clark salter and these players who, who just like people have probably listening going who the hell is that like just google him he's out on loan every year and he's like 23 24 now and he's it's just one of the these players that, that don't quite make it and chelsea do hoard a lot of players because they've got a, a massive academy and it's you know well funded and and very very successful um but christensen's came through that and he, there was a a chance that he could uh he could go the same way as as other players um that haven't made the grading and, and ultimately just get a bit forgotten about um and but he's he's made that breakthrough now um and to the point where if he does leave it will be to a top club um but he's he's done enough in his career to to prove himself and he's been through the rough bits so maybe you just want to maybe he just wants a challenge where he might feel a bit more loved and be one of the main players every week I'm, I'm not really sure what he's thinking is
1: yeah they, they've, they've had some obscure players where like they sign them and they just have no intention of playing them but I think to be honest it's a method that actually really earns them a hell of a lot of money because I think the biggest one was Kevin De Bruyne when he went on loan to Wolfsburg and obviously he was the player of the season in the Bundesliga that year and then Wolfsburg ended up paying a fortune to actually sign him so it's it's a method that works sometimes they do miss out on the odd player who is ends up having a like I think Matic was another one where he went to Benfica then they had to buy him back again um so th- th- there are scenarios where some lone players slip through the net a little bit and they have to bite the bullet and kind of buy them back for a bit of a excess fee but it's they have some talented players on their books and I think they're the only side really with this strategy in terms of just having 30 odd players on the roster and allowing 20 of them to get away and develop in another side and if for example they do end up developing they end up just either bringing them back into the side or or selling them for a great fee, and they do get great fees for all of them. Um, I don't know if Van Ginkel's another one who is potentially still on the books. He's been for <laughs> about 20 different clubs as well. So yeah, Marco
2: Marion's uh, another
1: one. Yeah, Marco Marin. He was meant to, to be like the Bundesliga Messi at one point. He had the there's, goalie as well. Do you remember had... the goalie that
3: was there for 10 years? It was a guy, I can't even remember his name. That's how
1: obscure he is. But... They've had a few on the books, but um, yeah, it, it's a strategy that works for them and fair play to them. I wish United would do something like that. We. Never loan players out. So, well, let's talk
2: about Manchester United. You say you never loan players out, but Jesse Lingard has been linked, and guess who he's been linked with? Marley, of course, it's Newcastle United. Uh, Manchester United allegedly. Is it us? Oh, yeah, <laughs> is it? He's behind you. It's like a punch and Judy, <laughs> pantomime thing. Um, United <laughs> allegedly, Manchester United that is, want a loan fee for him around three and a half million quid. Reports suggest until the end of the season. There's been no links back to West Ham in a while. If you're Jesse Lingard, do you go now, Marley, to Newcastle United, if that's the option on the table, and get some game time and try and keep Newcastle up? Or do you wait until the summer and have freedom of choice amongst probably more suitors and you can get a fat signing-on fee as well for doing so?
3: Uh, can, can you not do both? I, f- I feel like you can do both. Um, I think What, a six- sign
2: a six-month deal at Newcastle?
3: Yeah, so sign on loan. Um, I know it's not the, not the usual thing to do because... Like it, it is, but it can be done, can't it? You can sign a a loan, yeah. thing and then go back to Man United, collect your stuff, and leave on a free. So, I I think that's what you should do. Like, I don't th- I don't get what Lingard gains from signing permanently for Newcastle now because it's a huge gamble. Um, it's a massive gamble. Um, you might get relegated. If you get relegated, you're not in the World Cup squad at the end of the year. Because um, championship players don't get picked, and possibly rightly so, and possibly wrongly so—that's a discussion for another podcast. But I would, if I was Lingard, I would try before I buy. Um, you, you know, you've tried West Ham; you were great at West Ham, nearly got me into the Champions League—fantastic. Everything's rolled around again. West Ham aren't interested because they've got players they signed Vlasic in the summer instead of Lingard when it was clear he wasn't coming. Um, They haven't got the budget, the wage budget or anything to to afford him right now. So for me, rather than pick a club in January, I would try and get a loan move um, and then have you pick clubs in the summer because ultimately in the summer, more clubs than bigger clubs with bigger budgets and and bigger ambitions are going to come along and be interested if you're on a free transfer because it's just that's just the way the market is Another other signing on fee and things like that. So nothing's ever free. But ultimately, you're looking after yourself a bit better there, I think. So if I was him, I would try and get to Newcastle on a six month loan, see what you can do. If if you feel like there's a, enough of a project and Newcastle stay in the league, then that can be a huge, um, a, a, you know, a good move for him and a, a good permanent move for him. But if you know if you go there and they go down, but you play well, you still enhance your reputation. Um, if you can, if you can, back yourself to produce some some decent numbers. So for me, I would do that if I was him.
2: Yeah, Jesse Lingard's an interesting one. What about you, Joel?
1: Time to go. Um, I think it's wise for him to do that, especially just one. The fact that it's a World Cup year coming up. And two, the fact he needs to rise his stock again so that in the summer he has way more offers than he would if he just starts stagnating on the United bench as he is doing right now. So yeah, for me, he needs to get out as soon as he can. He should have done it last year. Um, But right now, I don't think he can be much of a chooser as he could have been last summer when his stock was through the roof. Um, A year's passed since that West Ham time now and he needs to prove himself again. But I don't think there's going to be as many suitors as there were last year. So, yeah, for me, it's in his best interest and United's best interest. They've already fumbled a £15-20 million pound paycheck last summer. And now they're probably going to get a maximum of £3 million. Um, I'm disappointed but I'm not surprised 10 days left of the transfer window we'll wait and see what happens with Jesse Lingard
2: will he be at Newcastle United come the end of the transfer window we will bring you all of the latest when we get it here on Football Social Daily and the best way to keep up to date with us is by hitting subscribe or follow or whatever it might be on whichever platform you listen to this show on so make sure you do that and we'll speak to you again tomorrow on the show and don't forget the dugout as well is available on Friday night Paul Dickov and Trevor Steeman will be my guests once again, the best way to keep in the loop with everything is to hit subscribe. Joel, Marley, thanks very much. That's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily, and we'll speak to you again tomorrow.
3: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
0: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.